this naturalism, this, this, this voyeurism, this hyper intimacy uh, between these men, all, uh, catching every, all the things that are not said is the most interesting thing about a scene, right? Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. Today's episode takes us behind the scenes of director Heidi Ewing's new drama, I Carry You With Me. The film tells the story of Ivan, a young aspiring chef in Mexico who is working to support the mother of his child. Ivan begins an affair with a handsome teacher, who, unlike Ivan, is out as a gay man. After their relationship comes to light, Ivan makes the painful decision to cross the border to advance his culinary career, promising his son and newfound love that he will return. I Carry You With Me is Ms. Ewing's feature directorial debut. Her other directorial credits include co-directing the documentaries Norman Lear, Just Another Version of You, Detropia, Twelfth and Delaware, and Jesus Camp. Ms. Ewing spoke with fellow director Rodrigo Garcia about filming I Carry You With Me in front of a virtual audience. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Everyone, welcome. On behalf of uh, the DGA and uh, myself, we're here to talk to Heidi Ewing about her wonderful movie, I Carry You With Me. You know, so many questions. Like I said to you just before, you know, I like to go into a movie not knowing a thing about it. Um, And I think when movies work, it's really not only hard but unfair to feature one thing over another. So, uh, you know, but I will just for the sake of, of, of this in particular, you know, what I found uh, particularly good about the movie and poignant is that it presents as one thing and then it kind of turns into another thing in the best way. And it's, it's you say, oh, I know what this is. It's a gay love story. Well, it is, but not just that. And oh, wait, immigration and, uh, you know, travel, finding love, separation, identity, but it's it's kind of ever evolving in a very organic way that feels a little bit more like life. You know, I like I like that. I like, for example, that uh, and, and I promise we're here to listen to you, not to me. But oh, I just no, want to give I'm you some idea. I just want I just want to give you some idea of the things that captured me. <clears throat> you know, it's a love story with some obstacles, but it works out. Uh, obviously, the stuff with the sun uh, is more problematic. Um, you know, he wants to make it across the border and he wants to do well, and he does. So it's not a matter of dreams not becoming true. Some dreams become true. Some things are always going to be a problem and always bother you. Um, so there was, the, I, I think that's one of the most remarkable things that the, the movie doesn't feel, you know, massaged, manipulated. Um, and I also had the extra treat that I, it didn't occur to me that the guys were the real guys until I saw the photos at the end. Oh, okay. <clears throat> it happens to uh, some. Which, which, that, which then in retrospect gave it all a, a great lift. So what on earth made you think that you could make a movie about some Mexican gay guys in Spanish? I, well, there must be something wrong with me. I look in hindsight, I realize... Um, how strange maybe it seems or appears because I was asked about it so much when I opened at Sundance. For me, I've known these guys for so long. They've been my friends for so many years. Um, we've known each other over 15 years. And so- uh, How did you meet? How did you meet? I'm sorry. We met, uh, we met in a bar. 
we met in a bar, a wine bar many, many years ago it, on my street in the Lower East Side. Uh, I used to go there after work on the way home. My husband and I would go in there. And one day, um, Gerardo walked in and he was funny and the salsa music came on and we were dancing. And then his, and then Ivan showed up and it was a very easy, natural friendship that began like that. They, they worked in the neighborhood at a restaurant. Gerardo was the bartender and Ivan was um, like the sous chef or, you know, he was working in the kitchen um, at, at, a, at a restaurant up the street. And I liked to speak Spanish and I, you know, we, we, we just got along. And so it was a very easy friendship for many, many years. And obviously we became closer and we, we began to frequent each other, um, each other's homes. They came to my wedding. Um, but there was always, um, I didn't know that much about their families. They didn't talk that much about, about home so much. They worked seven days a week, mostly. So, um, you know, for, for whatever reason, we didn't really get into the depth and they were a little bit guarded about that, to be honest. Um, and so it wasn't until 2012, which was like seven years into our friendship, uh, they came to see Detropia, a documentary I made about my hometown of Detroit um, at Sundance. And they came and they'd never been to Sundance and they'd never seen the snow like, like that, like mountains and snow. And we had a great time and they were so excited. And um, the night before we all left, we um, spent an evening talking till very, very late. And they told me their life story. That night they told me, Yvonne said, I have a son, he's 18. This is how we got to the United States. I crossed the desert. Um, this is how Gerardo came, this is what happened. We haven't seen our families in so many, this many years. Um, and I was gobsmacked and I was kind of ashamed um, of myself because I'm a documentary filmmaker and I was, I, I, I hadn't asked enough questions. I hadn't asked the right questions. How, why did I assume things that weren't true about that? Well, they're not, they're, in, in all, I mean, in all fairness, they're not, they're not easy questions to ask. No, but I guess, you know? I, I should have, you know, I I, 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 you're right. It was like, I don't know why I felt that way. I thought, how could I not know? How could I, you know, you, we're friends. And it was one of those things. And it hadn't happened to me like that ever. And I realized what kind of sacrifice they had made, not just to be here, but to be together. That, that Gerardo did not need to come. And Yvonne and some, you know, it, it, it was a very complicated immigration story. It was something that really, really opened my eyes because mostly what we hear about is someone is fleeing from narcotraficantes, someone is impoverished and has to earn money for their family or their sister back home. And those things are also true in some cases, in many cases, but there's also people who have an ego, have a dream, think I could be appreciated somewhere else. My talent is not being, is, is not being utilized. There are other reasons why people come. And the reason Yvonne wanted to come was pretty, was complicated. And that's why in the film, I mean, there are layers of complication um, for his arrival and why he came and, and, and what happened to him here. And so it was a story I couldn't shake, Rodrigo, I couldn't shake it. And I thought my first instinct of course was, I should make a documentary about this. This is such a compelling story. They're my friends. And we started talking about a film. And then I sat down and we did three days of interviews with them with two cameras beautifully lit. It was a very, it was like dinner with Andre. You know, we were all, we were just chatting and there were mirrors and they told me their life story and, and it was lovely. But then I realized as I started filming moments in their life, I realized pretty quickly I was filming the third act of a movie and that mm -hmm. all the, the epic nature 
of their love story and also their childhoods, which are so important to the formation of, of who they are and the relationships with their fathers, because in many ways, this is a movie about fathers and sons too, um, in many ways. And I didn't think I could make an excellent movie in doing what I know how to do, or which I've done many times, which is mostly cinema verite, but the documentary form. And so I said to them, I think something different needs to happen here. I don't, I think this needs to be like una película, uh, you know, like a narrative. And I've never done that. So it was a whole new scary thing. It was either put it away and just keep this as something between you uh, or try to try to use a different form of cinema um, and try to do something you haven't done. And so I decided to write the movie and I uh, got final draft, which was a big deal for me. I was like, I'm gonna buy final draft. That means I gotta write the movie. I can't believe I gotta buy final draft. You know, it was just like that funny. What 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 would you say was the biggest hurdle, the biggest change from the, the mindset of documentary to the script writing? Well, I'll tell you like the first draft, wretched and terrible and so bad, maybe the first few drafts, but um, you know, They'd be, you know, they'd be talking at the bar or, or in a scene, it would be a conversation scene. And then one would say the next, well, you know what happened to me when I was a kid? My father, um, you know, he was a drunk and uh, he, we, we used to sell tamales at the taxi stand. And it was really funny. He would pull out the speaker and he would tell people, you're, you know, hey, fatty, buy a tamale. And my dad, can you imagine? At, at one point I was like, it was, I can just show it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I didn't, I, I missed it because it happened 25 years ago or 30 years yes, ago. Yes, in a, in, a, in a documentary, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to recreate it. But here, yes, you can show it. It's just such a silly thing, right? The mentality of like, there's so much talking in documentaries that there's so much, this was like, oh, I will just cast a child. And, and the funny thing is, there is so little dialogue in this movie. I mean, I wrote a 112 page script the, the final movie that you saw, even though it's full feature length, it's 70 pages of um Well, I, I wouldn't say there's very little dialogue. There is the dialogue that needs to be there. You know, I think sometimes when people start to, um, to write scripts for the first time, they are often very scared of dialogue. And dialogue is, I think, the more you write, the more you realize it's the easiest part. It's not easy, but it's the easiest. Uh, you know, and you've got you've got many scenes that are that are. I mean, you have so many scenes between them that are very loaded and pregnant, and where they exchange six, seven, eight lines, sometimes four. <clears throat> uh, also, very good job, um, you know, casting the the younger versions, especially the the uh, the bridge, which is the hardest to make, I think, from the teenager to the young man. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was that was just uh, they really those those two actors really had the same tenor to them. Yes, they you did. Know? And, 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 and of obviously to the real guys. That was Ivan, the real guy, Ivan, the real guy has a, um, a great presence. I mean, oh, I, I the, like when I first when I saw him in the you know, one of the first scenes, uh, there's some close ups of him in the in the subway. That's right. Now, where have I seen this actor? I mean, he really has. A, I mean, the other guy, too. But this guy is, is striking. He's very striking, and that's something that always I, I was very I I always was uh, he was that was always very appealing presence, and Ivan is a man of few words, um, eh, you know, in español mucho más, you know, but in English he he's he's also very economic with words. Ivan um, 
Well, he, I, I just want to I just want to say he is a few words and he's got two very short sentences that are incredibly powerful, which is I am not happy. Mm -hmm. And then he says, you are my surprise. Right. Holy crap. What a great it, you know, it, in some ways that line, you are my surprise, summed up for me the non cause and effect part of the movie. You know, it just seems to flow along like life and here it works, here it doesn't, this pans out, this was forgotten. And um, and so that feeling, yeah, you are my surprise. You know, it's it's it was it's a wonderful thing to say. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I you know, and that I'm so glad you pointed that line out because um uh that line is dialogue, it's it's said by the actor, it's said in voiceover, but that was something he said. That was one of the few things in the movie. That was that it was said to me by mm -hmm. Ivan. He said, "I always thought." He said it to me in the first interview. I always believed that there was. Uh, I believe in destiny, and I believe that God gives us one surprise in our life. And Gerardo was mine. And he said that in the very first interview we did on camera. And I was struck in that moment by the thought of it. And it was one of the few things that made it into the mouth of the actor. So uh, it's amazing. Well, it's 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 a wonderful idea because it's not just how lucky we were to find each other, but that despite the obstacles, it worked and that it has continued to work for decades. You know, it, it's, it's uh, anyway, you're married. Marriage doesn't have to be explained to others who are married. You know, you have to feel that you're lucky. You have to feel that it is a surprise. I mean, after all, it's too, and, and, and the movie does this also, you know, it's, you know, we forget sometimes in love stories that it's two total strangers, two universes coming together. So, yeah. You always thought they would be in it once you were writing or you thought, no, I'm going to cast no, actors I, to play I them. Sure. I wasn't sure. I, I, my compulsion was to continue to film them at important moments in their life. So what you see of them is cinema verite, fly on the wall, nothing is scripted when, when the actual Ivan and Herod are in any scene ever. Um, so I continued as I wrote the movie I live in Manhattan, they live in Brooklyn. Um, I had a little, uh, a grant from MacArthur and I had some support so I could, I could continue shooting. I wasn't sure if I was going to, they were gonna appear in the film where I was gonna cast actors to play them, but yet I kept filming them any, just all the same. Um, maybe that's my habit. I came to the conclusion, you know, um, pretty early in the process, I guess midway through the process, that I, I felt I didn't, I didn't want to cast actors to play. They, they, what they were undergoing was that I didn't think they, uh, an actor could do better than they were doing, play, just being but, themselves. And I, I knew I knew it hadn't been done and I knew some people weren't going to like it. And I, I knew some people weren't going to get it or they were going to say, oh, but you're, the actor doesn't look like the real guy or, or whatever. But I couldn't bring myself, Rodrigo, to cast actors to play them. I thought I wanted people to experience these men in the way I had experienced them. And it was uh, a formally unconventional decision, but I took it and my and I decided to just go for it. Um, I, I, you know, I because I didn't know it wasn't them. I assumed they were actors. So there you, you go. Did you wonder why it started looking so different, though? Were you wondering why the style had changed so much visually? Did you say why? No, 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 because no, because this was uh, 15 years later in New York. Right. 
I more mean, digital, it, you know, more, more rough. Uh-huh. I just thought this was the chapter that I was in. I love that. You know, and, and, that. and also, and also, you know, as to their resemblance to the young guys, it's neither bigger nor smaller than you would have had with any actor. Probably. You, I mean, you, 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 you did as good a match as you can do. And any, you know, you, this is just, it's one of these things we do in movies, which are, you know, we all agree that this is the actor. This is the character at 21. And here he is at 46. And we're all going for the ride. So the you ride. would you would not have gotten, you know, any more resemblance. In fact, if you had opened that can of worms, I think the pressure for you to cast the one, two, three, four people that mean something, yeah. you know. Um, I was also afraid to age them. I also was worried about aging these young men. I, I That often does not work. Even in the $80 million range films, it is the, the aging of an actor sometimes. I didn't think that these, that it would work. It wouldn't have, and I tell you why in retrospect, because where the two guys are, they even have a physical mass to them that is middle-aged, that is, uh, uh, you know, mature in a masculine way, the way their body is, the way they look. You, 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 it's very hard to get that with young men in makeup and in aging. Mm-hmm. Because you're you're not you're you're still growing and in, in your into your forties you're still growing. Mm-hmm. There's no diminishing. You know, I mean, there <laughs> might be diminishing of something, but you know, I think I think men are still blooming in their forties and women. Uh-huh. So I, I just think it it um no I, I think just even their physicality. I mean, I remember them clearly when they're talking about the red lamps and uh, <laughs> and then there's also there's also a very nice sequence where they dress up right in like an excellent right. blue suit. Oh, have a night oh, out. Yes. oh, they go out to yes. Quintanilla. They're going they to look, they look super, super sharp. Super handsome. Um, you know, at Sunday, so, um, people, I, I, the biggest shock I had was what you just expressed to me, which is not knowing that they weren't actors until the credits. Um, I didn't know. I assumed people would guess, but I don't know why I assumed that. I assumed it. And so with the at Sundance and every single screening, when the pictures came up at the end, people gasped. They were like, what? It was, it was wonderful. <laughs> it was wonderful because, because here's the thing. You have a movie where all the act, I mean, Arcelia Ramirez is well known, you know, but mostly, and certainly to foreign non-Mexican audiences, everyone there is new. Right. So right. there was no way they were going to stick out, Good you time. know? Yeah. Arcelia I, thought the two, I, th- I thought the two young men were great. You know, the young Ivan, by young, I mean the, the middle one, the 20s. Yeah, uh-huh. So yeah, he was, uh, you know, he, he brought a lot of, of feeling to it, a lot of inner life. You know, he, he had a softness to him and yet he had his drive where he said, I'm going, mm-hmm. even if I lose you, even if I lose my son. I mean that, you know, he had that, that drive. And, and then the other, what's the other actor's name who played the young uh, Gerardo? Christian uh, Vasquez. I mean, so charismatic, yeah. you know. <laughs> It's like, of course, you saw him and you, you, you know, you fell in love with him. Um, well, the chemistry between the two men, I couldn't, I had, a, I do chemistry casting. I, I cast Ivan Armando Espitia first, and then I spent months trying to find a, a match for him. Yeah. And for other actors I saw, but when I put them in a room together, nothing happened. And these yeah. guys never met. And um, there was some electricity, went, what happened in the, yeah. in the audition. And I said, oh my God, this is the pair. I got to, I got to do it. 
yeah that that happens so um you know i love i love to hear directors talk of their pain so how did you uh talk about you know directing actors for the first time did you rehearse did you not and also how experienced were these young these younger actors um well um uh, Armando had been, I speak to plays Ivan, had, had been at Cannes with Haley, with Haley. Um, um, and, oh, that's um, right. I didn't, I didn't remember him, but yes, that's been in, in mostly in independent films. Um, so he is um, becoming more known in that uh, area. He's, he's really sort of taking off now since this film, but he had, he, he had a few films under his belt. Now, Christian, who played Gerardo, is comes from the Televisa world, comes from the TV world, comes from the rom-com now. Um, very famous among a lot of people, a heartthrob. Um, a lot of women love him. He never played a gay role. Um, and he doesn't do many indies. So they had completely different needs. Uh, they had completely different needs and um, they reacted to different kind of direction. Um, and they really had nothing. Can you give me, can you give me an, without betraying, just an example from a technical point of view, the, you know, the approach uh, to one uh, as opposed to the other. Yeah. Christian was more used to, who played Gerardo, he wanted to know where the camera was going to be. Were we in close up? Were we, were we here? Were we there? And I. Oh, good, good, good questions. They're not, they're you know, they're good questions. Good questions, but um, I. I, I did. I didn't need him to know if we were in a close-up or not. Um, I, it wasn't helpful for him to have that information. Um, not for the kind of naturalistic cinema I was going for. Not not when I was trying to let the camera also float and um, not anticipate the action. And I, I gave my cinematographer license and freedom. And I was I was bringing with me that some of that voyeurism that comes with documentary, I'm sure you felt it in the film, it's, there's a floating, there's an imperfection. Yeah, yeah. And so if the, if the actors giving, delivering one performance um, in the close-up and a different, I, it, it was not helpful to me. And yeah. so that was the kind of information I didn't, I wanted him to stop thinking about that. Mm -hmm. um, just because of the way we were shooting the film and it's very different than television and it was uh was so so that was one thing whereas armando it, um he needed um i found that interruptions were not helpful so listen i i love having the word cut i don't care about action my first ad called action i, I don't care cut was mine cut is beautiful because nobody can stop until i call god and so what I would do, what I would come in during takes and give, give a tiny direction and whisper in one of the other's ear, and we would keep rolling. And Armando did the best that way because he would really get into something. And the, the kind of interruption that happens after calling cut is often very unwelcome. I was not used to it. People were rushing in, wanting to change the set, move the coffee cup, change the hair. This was yeah, the, room go, the room goes a little cold. This is not, uh, and of course, these are things you know, but this was my first narrative. And I was like, what the hell is happened? What just happened to my scene? I don't want the coffee cup to be moved. His hair is fine. I don't care about these. I mean, you know, the light is fine. Like, it was just all this fiddling. And I, I, I'm not disrespecting the crafts people because they're excellent. And I know they were doesn't doing- doesn't matter. It's, it's whatever, it's, it's every director oh, likes what they like. It didn't help the scenes. So, you know, um, 
that was something that I really started playing around with of like when to even cut. And instead I would just enter the frame, tiny adjustment, walk out. They'd keep going, especially with the children and children who are incredible actors, you know, they get distracted. So that was something, um, but directing. I, I love, I love that boy who gets uh, that actor, the boy who gets taken out to the field. He is, we call them Pequeño Marlon Brando. He was He's terrific. That kid's a natural. I'd never seen anything like that. Um, the, uh, the crew and cast, everybody was just done by him. And his mother was like, I don't know where this comes from. There's no one in our family. And when, when he came to audition, um, but directing actors, you asked my pain and my insecurity um, was directing actors. I spent a lot of time with Adrian Weiss, a directing actress coach in New York. Um, I, I took classes with her. I practiced with actors. I was extremely nervous about that. Um, I, the but it seems, it seems from what you're saying about going in and giving pieces of direction, that you did, you did learn that thing, which it takes, it's a whole journey for new directors, which is go in, say little, do little. That's right. You know, you know, that that's very hard because a, a lot of new directors feel like they have to go in and explain the universe to the actor. I, I was definitely learned to not do that before even going on set. The little, little went a long way. I didn't do line readings or say, you know, I learned ways that, the actors would, I also never gave them direction in front of the other one. So they, they, the other didn't know the direction I'd given the other one. So there was all these surprises happening in the scenes because I would change, I would have them try something else and the other guy would have to react. So there was a lot of so spontaneity and surprise. Also certain actors I learned um, like Raul Briones, who's very well known in the theater in Mexico and well, Luis Alberti is well known in Mexico. Some actors are great at improvisation and I had to detect who those were early and others are not. Who played, who played the guy who sings in drag? Luis Alberti. Yeah, that was good. I thought he was very good. He's excellent. He's a, he's a big star in Mexico now, a rising star. And, you know, he just did great with improv. Like, so, you know, so I, I had to learn also as a director when, you know, which, which actors would do well when I let them go looser and which ones should really not do that. Cause then they would fill the scene with words that I didn't want. Yeah. So it was just, it was a process. We did rehearse. Um, Armando did not like to, I realized that some actors don't like it. Um, we would go through the script. We would, uh, we would rehearse certain scenes. Um, but you know, uh, it would depend on the actor, but I did have rehearsal time. <laughs> Um, what about you? Do, do you, do your actors all, do you insist that they all rehearse with you? Do some actors not want to rehearse? You know, I, I would, I come from being a cameraman, so I, I don't come from theater. So when I started directing, I, I, I did not want to rehearse, you know, it made me very nervous that things could happen that then I would miss or that would never happen again. I mean, I do like obviously to sit around a table, read through the script, you know, talk, Sure. Through the fat, you yeah. know, you know, just break break the ice, create some glue. Um, but over the years, I've worked more and more with actors who come from theater. You know, I worked several times with Glenn Close, and she loves to rehearse. Mm -hmm. And I did a, something with with Holly Hunter. She could rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. Not just and and she's ready to rehearse. She she's willing to rehearse not just with the other actors, but with anyone who will read with her. It's just something that she needs to do. But is so she not I, on a table, she's actually doing the scene. You are actually sometimes on her, sometimes on her feet. Yes. Oh. But uh, so, so I've learned to, to get more comfortable with rehearsing. Mm -hmm. 
you know, because uh, because I know, you know, now I know that especially one of the movies where I rehearsed the most I did with Glenn Close in Ireland and we had all, all the actors came from theater. Everyone was Irish, English, came from theater and they were all happy rehearsing. So that was, um, you know, that was a real learning experience. It took the fear of rehearsing away from me because I, I, not only do I not like to rehearse, I like to direct as little as possible, mm -hmm. you know, just wait and see for things to happen. And then, um, uh, but no, let's go back to you. You can't, you don't get off the hook that easily. No, I who's, love hearing about people's who, who's Who's your DP? I thought, I thought the work was beautiful. I think it had, um, I mean, there's just so many, let me tell you something. Every so often, with some frequency, but not as much as necessary, I, I used to say to my daughters when they were little, I can tell if a book is written by a good writer from the opening line. And they were like, oh, dad, you're so foolish. You know, sometimes I could tell when that blue field appeared, I said, she's a director. And then that's followed by an over the shoulder of him walking that field. I thought she's a director. So, um, but your the contribution of your DP I thought was really wonderful. I mean, there were some, and and the mixture, the the mixture, the such a rich mixture of of uh, of colors, but not the classic colors that you see when you're making the Mexican movie, yeah. but some very strange blues and some very peculiar oranges, mm -hmm. and and the whole scene in one mono, monochrome. Mm -hmm. So how how did that come about? Well, his name is Juan Pablo Ramirez, and he's stars going up and it started to go up before I worked with him. He is, uh, he has so far uh, mostly done Mexican films. He's done one, a uh, couple of this last year with other foreign directors. Um, he is uh, a special creature. He draws, he is an incredible photographer. He's always got a camera around his neck uh, constantly, uh, 24 hours a day, even on the set, he's, he's still a photographer. Um, and that was very, very helpful also for, for how we came up with shots and things like that. Um, I spoke to uh, many, many photographer, cinematographers, uh, all of the greats in Mexico, or you know, there's a lot of greats. Um, and and it's, also, it's a it's a moment of greats of great cinematographers. You know right how now. to make movies in Mexico. The lucky yeah. thing, my first narrative, which is not in my my first language and not in my own country and not with any crew I knew, was in a country that makes excellent excellent yeah. cinema. So I was in wonderful hands, production design, everything. So Juan Pablo and I um, went around the mulberry bush for several months. Uh, I wasn't sure that we were, would connect on a personal level. He's just very shy, it turned out. And, um, and then we did. And he read the And script. you're not. I'm not shy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not shy. Or at least when I'm shy, you can't tell. Um, exactly. You're a good I, pretender. I love, I work a lot with very quiet, introspective people because we help each other out. And it's just nice. I like very serious people. So he... Um, had great notes on the script. He had a couple of questions for me that, and I ended up turning into scenes. Like he had interesting insights early on, early days, yeah. And um, so what we did was he um, was a little bit having PTSD because the film he had shot right before mine, there was no um, storyboarding, not only storyboarding, there was no shot listing, there was no conversations. There was a director who was very, very busy uh, with an acting career. And so they would go show up on set and there was no preparation. And he was extremely upset about that experience, even though the film turned out well. 
So he said, you're going to shot list, right? I mean, I know you come from documentary, but you're not going to just like let things happen. I said, no, 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 no. You've, I have this opportunity to control the look for the first time in my life. I want to do that. You know, so we spent months shot listing the movie on Zoom. Well, I, I'll say it doesn't it doesn't look shot listed. Good. Because we, we threw the whole good. away. <laughs> Well, but that's fine. That's fine. That was part. That was the process. That process was the process that was. Be prepared. Be prepared. Like even if we threw it away, we're gonna we're gonna have a plan, and it was good because we mostly threw the plan out, but we both felt good that we had a plan, and it turned out we both needed that, um, and there was a lot of spontaneous things. Now, in terms of the color palette, we spent a lot of time. But those orange and those oranges and greens. And then during the location scout, I started falling a lot in love with certain um, buildings of a certain color. And he, you know, he had all these ideas about. You had, and you have some like solid blue interiors also. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or even exteriors, just bathed in blue light. Bathed in blue, like the old mansion. And so we started playing with this, these few colors. Um, and, you know, a lot of things don't look lit to, to, to a naked eye. And they, of course, are. So there's a lot of, we're using a lot of practicals, but a lot of things that look like totally nat natural light aren't aren't it's just it's an amazing gaff, gaffer paquito and working with juan pablo um and so he was a really he understood what, what i was going for which is like um this this naturalism this 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 voyeurs and this hyper intimacy uh, between these men all you know, catching every all the things that are not said is the most interesting thing about a scene, right? And so he really, we sort of got into this rhythm and this groove of all these awkward silences or sexy silences and what must he be thinking? And, you know, we would, I would have the actors sort of do a scene without doing any dialogue. So they would run the scene doing the dialogue in their head. And a lot of times we got these incredible expressions when they would so do Doing that. it in their head, you mean acting, but not saying it. Yeah, we would yeah. shoot it and they were just, doing the scene because I needed a lot, a lot, a lot of non-speaking moments. My editor was going to need them. Um, and it can be awkward for actors to do that. And so we came up with all kinds of little tricks and ways for them to feel comfortable um, so that we could get these, these, these expressions on their face. Um, so any Juan Pablo is, was an excellent collaborator. And um, of course, you know, he is a Mexican man and I am an American woman making her first narrative with uh, a huge crew of people of men that I do not know. Um, and I was, I had heard stories from my colleagues and who'd kind of warned me about tussling with the DP and having problems with her DP. And it's a thing that women directors talk about is um, that these fights or power struggles and things like that. And so I was concerned. Um, and it's funny, cause one time I said to him before I hired him, I said, listen, you know, he's like, I, I'd like you to look at my gaffer and I've got this great camera team. And I said, well, I want your team. I want, I want to make you comfortable. I want you to use your people because I like what you do. And so like, let's do that. And I said, so the whole camera team is yours. I said, we can never have a public disagreement. You need to commit to me right now that if we are having a bad day or a disagreement, we have to take it private. You, you, we, this, none of this can happen in front of anyone because I am a foreign woman and this is, and I can't lose my crew. I need to make sure that I'm, you know, and he, and I had just had to say it. I said it out loud and that I'm a feminist. I was raised by a single mom. 
uh, I'm working here for you and I will not, that will never happen. And it never did. But the fact that I felt that I needed to say it was just, you know, it just, it's, 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 it's indicative. Look, it, it's, it, it, and it's not, of course, it's not even exclusive to Mexico. You know, it is, it's the, it's the bullshit that it is. Let me ask you though, along those lines, talk to me about your journey warming up two steps forward, one step back, uh, uh, feeling confident, feeling terrified that you're doing this movie about a different culture in a different language about men who are not even heterosexual. So, so many things, so many things far from you, which by the way, I love, you know, yeah, I think, I, 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 I think anyone should be allowed to do the movie they want about anything. However, if you're outside of your thing, you will be held to another standard. Oh yes. You know, yeah. so tell me about that that panic or not. Yeah, well, um, it could be, um, I never even thought about it as I was writing the movie because these are like my best friends and the movie would never be made if I didn't make it. So there wasn't a book or something that was written by a Mexican author. A, very much a director's answer, very much. No, no, I, I'll go into the no, rest. No, no, I, I, I yeah. But it, no, 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 I, no I, I agree with it. But I knew that was true. Like this movie yeah. wasn't for that taking or they weren't out for a director. And like, th this was an intimate friend decision. So part, so I never had thought about it early on. Like, honestly, it didn't cross my mind because, because I thought, well, let's, we're doing this together and they trust me. And, um, and then of course it was like closer to the, to Sundance. Well, well let's and, go, and, let's go. But now you but you're in Mexico. I mean, that's at the beginning. Then you're in Mexico. I'm in Mexico. And well, well, first I'm writing the script in English. And then I bring on, um, after a few drafts, I bring on an excellent writer, um, Alan Page Arriaga, who is Arriaga's uh, nephew. And um, he helps me do finish the movie. And so, of course, now we have, I have a Mexican co-writer. So I'm already feeling, you know, between Ivana Gerardo and the transcripts and, and my many visits to their family, to their hometowns, to their friends over the years, many, many times. And I've got Alan. And so now I'm like, okay, making, I'm doing all these checks and balances and checking myself. Is, is there something inaccurate here? Would this not happen? Would this not be said? It's 1994. And there's the gay scene in Puebla. Don't exaggerate it. Don't make it look like it's illegal to be gay, but don't make it look like it's a, you know, um, so that there was that whole era, like, what would it be like in Puebla in 1994? Now I had Ivana Gerardo to talk to me. Then I had the real uh, Kakusa who helped me. And then we, you know, but it was always like checking, like, would this, would this word really be said, this piece of slang? There was that, all that was going on, which everybody helped me with. But then I'm in Mexico, location scouting, and I'm meeting actors and chatting with them. And I started- How, 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 flu how fluent is your Spanish at that point? It's pretty good. Okay. Hablo bien. I mean, it's like, um, it's pretty good. Uh, okay. They say it's good. It's pretty good. It's not now. It's even better. But you know, I don't think. But, it's but you, but you, but you were fluent. It wasn't a struggle. No, 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 there's never any misunderstanding. Never, never, never misunderstandings yeah. of any kind ever on a language level. But then I'm there, and I'm like starting to think. You know, we're doing some. I'm sitting down with an actor, and he's running. And then the script is in perfect Spanish. It's been. It's now. There's no errors. But then I started. You know, the guy who plays Gerardo's father and that was from Chiapas, the scene is in Chiapas. And he said, you know, the, the way the, the word we use for, well, the derogatory word we use for a, a gay person, Chiapas is, is mampo. And it's a very strong, terrible word. 
Um, and, and so he said, you know, that's what he said. I, I, I grew up in a tiny town in Chiapas and two sort of effeminate soccer players disappeared one summer. They were kids and we never saw them again. We think they were killed. Like he started telling me stories about growing up yeah. where Gerardo grew up. And so I changed a couple of words and I checked. He used, he used, he used that word. That's right. And I put it in the script. He, he, calls, he calls the little boy that. Mampo. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's funny because I'd never heard the word. But in the context, you know exactly yeah. what he's saying. Yeah. So, so I guess what I'm saying is that conversation led me to every time I would be with an actor, I we would talk about, I would listen to how the dialogue was coming out. I said, would you say it any differently? And, you know, and someone in, in the, well, my father was just like this. My father was a drug. And so I said, could I put that in the script? So basically I started making tiny alterations into the script based on the actors themselves, what they told me, how things came out of their mouth. So I really started adapting uh, a, a little bit of the scenes um, because I was learning a great deal because now I'm on the ground in Mexico and I've got people saying, oh yeah, I grew up in this exact town and my father used to say this and I used to go to this club. And so I, I started getting even more confidence to sort of loosen things up. Um, and that was because I wanted to get it right. I was very, very worried about getting it wrong, about embarrassing not only myself, embarrassing my friends, embarrassing the crew and making a film that felt like a gringa made it. I was extremely conscious of it, but more and more only on the ground. If I had felt that way when I was writing, I wouldn't have made the movie. Luckily, that started happening to me when I'm on the ground, the responsibility of doing this. And what am I doing? How, how is it that I'm doing this? I need help. I need their help. I need, so I was, you know, I really included people and to make sure that I was doing it, that it felt right. It felt Mexican. And the first day it was 4.30 in the morning. It was my first day of shooting. I could barely stand up. I was extremely nauseous. I was extremely scared. I couldn't believe all these years had come to this. And we got the whole crew in a circle. We were in, we were in the country. We were shooting the Chiapas, the ranch, the rancho. The first, the first week was the rancho, which is like end of the first act. And we all got in a circle. The, like, the, 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 the richer guy's ranch. Yeah, that's right. Get out yeah. of those family yeah, ranch. We that week first, yeah. And everybody was, so everybody was like sort of out of town. We were staying at a hotel. You know, it was like good for crew bonding. I, I wanted everyone to be, it was good for us all to be out of town. And we were standing in a circle. It was pitch dark. And I, there's no one there except my editor, who I've known for 15 years. And she decided to get up at three in the morning and be there for me. And I'm talking to the crew in Spanish and I'm saying, this is a story about my friends. I, I, I want you to be proud of this movie. I want to get it right. I'm asking you to help me get it right. I want this to be your movie. This is a Mexican movie. It's a co-production. Please help me get it right. And they listened. And, and then I said, you know, um, you know, if you've got something you want to say to me or talk to me about or pull me aside, I'm, I'm open. And then I said, and if you have a complaint, you know, I'll español. <laughs> So, and they laughed, you know, no, 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 but it was really an emotional thing for me. And I think they, they, everyone was like, oh, she's serious. And it became our movie. It, be, it is a Mexican American co-production. It really is. And they're proud of it. My, my crew. So that was very, very important to me in the making of it. Now, then you go back home and you edit the movie and you're in like this, this, um, this bubble and this book, American Dirt, comes out and people are really mad about, about this author and she got everything wrong about a desert crossing and it's none of her business and who should be telling these stories. And then we go to Sundance and it's like, 
wait, Heidi, you made a movie in Spanish, you know? And it was just like, oh man, it, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe there are going to people be mad. Like it, we were already at Sundance when I, I was like, I think we did it right. I, I think we've done this right. I, I'm proud of it. Like this is, I really hope I'm not held, it's not held against the movie, my nationality I, or or my gender or my straightness or whatever. I was like, please don't hold, don't hold, take the movie down because of this. That's all I could hope for. And very early on, Remezcla and Carlos Aguilar and several um, Latino uh, and Latinx publications and the Latinx house, got behind the movie very early and started writing about it. And one of his articles was, this is when it can work. This is not American dirt. It can yes, work. It, yes, and it can work because it's, because it, in the end it's how genuine is it? You know, how real and how human and how, uh, yeah, I, I look, I, I understand, you know, the, the, the discussion around cultural appropriation is necessary, super, you know, sometimes it's very clear cut. Sometimes it's very complicated. You know, as a director, I have to think anyone should be free to try any subject. But, but you, you, better, know, bring, you better bring it. You better bring it. You better bring it. Um, because, uh, yeah, you better bring it. And I think I think uh, I think you brought it. Your editor did a very nice job. I know movies are edited between two people, you know, but but uh, but still. You know, uh, it's very, it's very nicely edited. It's very, there's a lot of, there's a lot of intimacy in the scenes. There's a lot of nice tension. There's actually intimacy in a lot of two shots, you know, which is my favorite shot in a movie is always a two shot because uh -huh. you can see the two universes is, together, uh -huh. you know, that, that whole back and forth. Um, so uh, had you worked with her before? She's cut every single one of my documentaries I've ever made. I've worked with her. So, but she, she had never she had never cut a, a scripted movie. Oh. Well, kudos to her also. Yeah, she's nominated. I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not texting. What I did was is I took stills, I took screen grabs of your entire movie. Amazing. Because that's 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 my way of doing notes. You know, oh, things take me back to things. The visual mind. I love that. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to show you one. I'm going to show you one of my favorite frames in your oh, movie. Okay. In case you haven't seen it. Oh, me too. Me too. Wonderful. Me too. That was day three of shooting. That was day three. That was, uh, you know, let me tell you about that location. Okay. So this is another thing when you're, you're a documentary filmmaker who suddenly gets to location scout and, and choose everything. We got to go to that farmhouse and we, my Juan Pablo and I scrambled up a ladder and the, the owner's like, no, 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 por allá, no, no está seguro. You can't go in there. Peligroso. It's the floor's broken. We go up and it's this attic. And that light was coming through that, those little concrete blocks in the attic. And I said, we have to, I have to move the scene. And it, and it had, and it had the view of the ranch. And, it the view of the ranch and we go, we put the father out there. I, I had that, I had that scene set somewhere else. Um, like in a barn or something. It was similar, but not. And uh, I saw this location. I said, we have to, can we fix the floor? So the four of us, maybe we'll just have a limited crew or three of us can, can fit up here with the actors plus me and, you know, and so we got an engineer to fix the floor and I put, I moved the scene up there and we knew exactly when the light was going to be there. And that, that just, there's, that's natural light too. And just like the, the, it just, there's so much texture and there's so, I love that frame too. It's just, yeah. it's everything. It's everything. Um, so in the end, 
we see him in Mexico, mm-hmm. right? And there's so many unanswered questions, of course. Well, he's in Mexico in his mind. He's in New York, though. But 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 is did you shoot shoot that in Mexico? Was in the taxi? Him in the taxi. The actor. Yeah. Yes, of course. Yes, yes. The actor. Yeah. yeah the real Ivan, of course, can't go to Mexico. But but the um but the actor. The yeah. young guy. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. That was in. Man, that was. That was. Uh, yeah, it's funny because it's uh, it's a film that is, um, like I said before, it has this sort of slippery quality where, you know what it made me think? It made me think of um, this idea that there is poetry and there's a good story anywhere. Yeah. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to undermine your story. No, and certainly the idea of, you know, being rejected for who you are in your country in your in, at home is horrible and that's a conflict that's big enough and then of course being exiled and not being able to come back and separation from a son those are all big subjects but it wasn't it, 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 thinking back on it all and from what you've told me it couldn't have been evident to anyone but a nutcase director like you that there was a movie there at all yeah. So I think it's a testament to, you know, if if you dig, if you have the eye, if you have the 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 empathy, if you have the compassion, if you connect to things, you know, you you can tell a wonderful movie about a day changing the tires in your car. Yeah. And again, I, I don't want to downplay the drama in your movie, but no, no. but it just it has it has a feel that is very much like, you know, everyone's life. Is, this, is is worthy of telling. Because by the way, sadly, you know, people who are, have escaped their world because they're gay or people who have are illegal in a country and can't go back, unfortunately, that's not even a very particular situation. Mm-hmm. You know, we all know about that. That's right. But, but so, but the success is in feeling that that you looked close and you looked with empathy, and uh, and I think your affection for these guys is is super clear, and and their affection for each other. I mean, the titles, you know, the final thing with their pictures, um, you know, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking at that. I'm still recuperating from that line. You are my surprise. Mm-hmm. I thought right. that was just beautiful. Yeah. So um. So listen, now you're a director. You're screwed, because your brain is going to be thinking, what am I going to write now? What am I going to do? You know what I mean? You, you, you'd already settled into documentary. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but now you have a whole new field in which to be, in which you can be obsessed and miserable. I know. Welcome. I, I thank you for welcoming me. It's already started happening. I, I'm sleeping four hours. I'm writing another movie because it was so much easier before because most things shouldn't be documentaries. They can't be. They you can't don't have be. the access. They won't, you, won't, you can't go to their house. They passed away. It happens in a different country. You can say, oh, I can't make it. Okay. I can't do that. But now if you can invent things, if you can, there's just so many more stories you can tell. Yeah, it's 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 much it's much uh, easier to be uh, you know, to create so much. Can can you talk, or do you want to talk about what the world of your next scripted thing might be? Yeah, you're gonna think I'm even crazier. 
then then I am almost embarrassed to say um, there's a book I can talk about it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's called How to Tame a Fox and Build a Dog. It's a true story um, of two intrepid, brave scientists in Soviet Russia in a time when there was really a war on science that embark on a wild experiment involving foxes. And, Breeding foxes? Um, they are trying to recreate the 30,000 years it took for the wolf to become the dog. I, I've read I've read articles not about this but a little bit experiment yeah. yeah so it's based on two people she's still alive she's 89 and she's still in Siberia doing the experiment which is the most um, robust and important uh, evolution what what does does she still does she still have a direct line meaning is she in generation number 70 oh yeah oh yeah no we're in not yeah 70 years in oh and it's and all kinds of scientists are over there and they've mapped the genome and of, of the foxes and um they're and, using and are are some of the foxes totally uh human friendly domesticated oh, like living, living in homes yeah you can buy them a few, they're, they're very like little they're like they're like little dogs yeah, i remember they, i remember reading an article that even in and it, it could have been them you know because i read it years oh, ago that that by picking the friendlier cubs or puppies, whatever you call them in the fox, already by the fourth generation, they were considerably more human friendly than their great grandparents. Not only that, their, their different genes were activated and their tails became curly, their fur became mottled, the cartilage in their ears softened and the ears came down to make them cuter and more attractive to us. They started barking, they started laughing, they started doing things that foxes do not do in the wild, like mate more than once a year. Their genes were altered through domestication and that's what they were trying to find out. It wasn't- The, gene, the, gene, of, the gene of love was activated. That's right. It's a great story because it's 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 also like uh, it's there's all kinds of twists and turns and a lot of there's real dangers that they encountered and loneliness. It's about the friendship between these two, this man and this woman scientist and uh, and the relationship between humans and animals. And um, yeah, I'm writing it right now, and it takes place in Russia in 1952, between 1952 and 1985. I'm going to shoot it in English though. Yeah. I can't, I'm not shooting this in Russian. I can't do that. So, um, tough, yeah. yeah, no. So I just, it's a beautiful story. And uh, I'm, I'm, and the co-writer is an evolutionary, but they're, they're, she, he wrote it with Ludmilla, who's one of the subjects. And um, he's an evolutionary biologist. And uh, I called him up and he goes, my wife always said this should be a narrative. So yeah. good. Anyway, yeah, I'm working on that. All right. Well, uh, I think we're out of time, but uh, again, congrats on your movie and uh, you know, I enjoy all its success. It's very, it's very deserved. I, I really, I found it very human and very touching and, and the gift that the guys were real at the end for me was wonderful. Another reason never to see a trailer. Um, I mean, the movie, the movie, the movie had been recommended. So that's how I see movies. Okay. Um, but uh but many congrats. Thank you. I can't wait till it comes to the public. Um, Sony Pictures Classics has held it for a year. We had six opening dates that are lost and now it's opening May 21st and the trailers started running today at the Angelica Cinema in New York. It just reopened. Wonderful. So. Well, you know, those those guys, if they held it for a year, it's because they, they you know, 
that's a sign of how attached they are to it. They are, and they believe you know, in they, it. Yeah. They the theatrical uh, audience, and I agree. So yes, yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, Absolutely. Really Thank you. My pleasure. We'll do it again with the foxes. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Stay tuned for future episodes featuring a conversation with director Don Misher and for our annual Meet the Nominees series, which will feature panel discussions with DGA Award-nominated directors Lee Isaac Chung, Emerald Fennell, David Fincher, Aaron Sorkin, and Chloe Zhao. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.